Hey, Jeff. Hey, Eric. How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. You know, some weeks are tougher to come up with a intro for you guys than others. Some weeks are really easy. Last week, obviously, we had to switch up in the middle because our wall was being torn down. But, you know, <laughs> I recently got invited to uh, my high school reunion and I said I didn't want to go. And you, yep. our friend Greg, yep. our friend Shinsuke, yep. I don't know if our brother Dan was on board, but you guys were willing to start a GoFundMe to pay for me uh -huh. to go to my high school reunion just so I could get some stories for the podcast intro. Well, because you you so don't want to go. I don't want to go. I feel like no one would know what I do for a living. Yeah. Well, it's all these people who like have started families or whatever. And, then and that's you fine. come in there. Yeah. And that's great. And then you come in there and you're just like, hey, so like I do this thing and, you know, you would name a bunch of artists that nobody knows right. and a bunch of behind the scenes people that definitely nobody knows. So it's a lot. Sometimes your friends want to start a GoFundMe to just get intro stories. Anyway, so if you want to raise $130 <laughs> with us, it's we are absolutely it's sending. It's 120 It's 120 All right, But well, it's, it's not even about the money, just to be completely honest. Yeah, yeah, But here's what happened this week, too. And this is what I wanted to talk about, what you wanted to talk about during the intro of this podcast, which is that, as a lot of you know, our mom on October 17th was uh, hit by a car when she was crossing the street. She was in the hospital for a week and a half. She's now safely at home. She's doing physical therapy. Um, she got a concussion out of it. She got a, a fractured pelvis. And we're over there every day. Every day, uh, we're taking shifts. Our Aunt Jane, our brother Dan, the two of us. Sometimes we go together, sometimes we go as a group, sometimes it's just solo missions, but we're all there helping at all hours with our mom, who is now walking on crutches, and like, it's the little things that become the big things, when she was able to shower by herself, when she was able to walk a full city block and back, it's these things that like, we're working towards getting her to be back to 100%, and everybody expects a full recovery, the doctors, us, mom, and we're very, very thankful for that, but, but here's what we wanted to talk about which is that there's an artist out there who we're not going to name, but he reached out to us on email a couple of times, on Instagram a couple of times, and made it his mission to get in our faces to listen to his new music. And I responded to him after the Instagram messages, which were public, and I, I emailed him privately, and I said, hey... Just going to be honest here, I haven't had a chance to listen to your new music or anyone's new music because we've been dealing with some family stuff and I hope that you respect our time and and what we're, you know, and, and our schedule. And he, he flipped responded. <laughs> he flipped out. He flipped so far out. He was just like... In a not nice way. Yeah, he was like, I don't appreciate your sarcasm. And here's the thing. Yes. Can I be sarcastic in yeah, real life or on here? Of course. Well, I mean, was that sarcastic, actually? No, no, no. Well, I mean, can I? No, no. Can I, I be I, no, sarcastic? No. Okay, now you, it feels like you're taking his side. Well, no, now it sounds like I'm Chandler Bing. But I responded I don't know. to him. Uh, could I be any more sarcastic? I responded to him, and I thought an honest way and a concise way saying, hey, I haven't listened to your music. You know, we're going through some stuff. You know, thanks for reaching out. Congratulations on your deal and your your EP. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, we're dealing with some stuff right now. Sarcastically. It was not sarcastic. And he flipped out. 
came back at me, and then we had discussed not responding. Well, no, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess, I guess we had discussed that. I, I did respond, and then you responded. Yeah, we decided that we together we would not give in to his barbs, uh-huh. and then you. Barbs is an interesting word to put sent, there. I'm not being sarcastic. Yeah. It you, wasn't Nicki Minaj. You sent... It was not. You sent this really nice email saying... It, like, not taking sides, sort of like clearing the air or whatever, even though neither... I, I Yeah. I, I didn't said, think either one of us was trying to be aggressive about this. Well, no. It sounded like he was... It sounded like he was angry. <laughs> yeah. For no reason. And so I said like, hey, we met once before and that went fine and that... um. Our mom has been going through what she's been going through, and we, that we've been very public about it. And then I said that you were absolutely not being condescending, and he, sh- you know, he knows us enough at least to say hi to us, you know, when we had met. Right. So, so like, you know, why he would think that you were suddenly being condescending <laughs> and sarcastic? No idea. And then also that, you know, I I congratulated him on everything that's been going on, and yeah, you know, it was a nice email. I thought no response to that. No, no, no. he responded to me. He did. Yeah. I swear to God, I have no idea. Oh, yeah. He responded to me. What'd he say? That he had no idea about our mom and that he was very sorry and that he wouldn't bother us anymore. Okay. Wait, hold This is 100% true. I had no idea that he responded to you. Yeah. You did not tell me this. I thought he just decided not to respond to either one of us. No. So what we're going to take out of this is... Well, no. The thing that, that you take out of it is that... He was very upset about us not listening to his music, but he doesn't listen to our podcast. So, like, what does it even matter? Right. Like, why why, he, why flip out over it? He, <laughs> he, we did not listen to his music. Yeah. But he doesn't listen to our podcast. Yeah. What is any of this? Yeah, well, that's a, the whole thing that I'm always confused about when people are, you know, they're, some girl who didn't add us on Twitter. Like, I know I need to, like, stop searching my name on, on Twitter and yeah. stuff, but she was just like, man, like, it's the real, like, takes themselves, like, so seriously or whatever. I didn't see this either. But this was a while ago. Okay. But, but it's like... Wait, wait, wait. So we're sarcastic... And we take ourselves too seriously. Gotcha. Okay, go on. Yeah. Like okay. Chandler Bing. Right. Shouts to friends. Man, this is a lot of friends talk. Yeah. Although, total side note, you mm-hmm. showed me a video last night of the friends intro, the theme song, the graphics, the whole thing uh, done to Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Well, Donald Trump in the friends. Yeah. Yeah. Theme. As in uh, Trump has no friends. It was so good. Really, 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 really funny. Shouts to the Seinfeld 2000. Yeah. So anyway, so this girl mentions this on Twitter. Yeah, but she was just like, you know, they take themselves so seriously. So whatever. what's the and deal? It, I, you know, Eric, can't we you're just, getting really defensive right now. Can't we just be ourselves? I <laughs> Is that sarcastic? No, I swear to God, I'm just... Could I be any more myself? I'm just <laughs> being honest here. Mm-hmm. And then you, you said, initially, you're like, yo, you don't need to apologize for not listening to someone's music. And I don't know if I'm, like, turning off all the people now who are just like, well, I'm going to get my music to It's the Real. And this is beyond the fact that, like, what can we do for any of you guys? Right. But just being honest right now, we can't. We can't do anything for people? We can't do anything for anybody. We can barely do things for ourselves. (laughs) That's true. I'm just trying to. That's the most honest thing that anyone has ever said in this podcast. We can barely do things for ourselves. Uh. Anyway. Anyway, on the podcast today. Who's on the podcast today? True Life. All right. So this, I don't know if we said this on the podcast or not, but this was the quickest yes we have ever said when a publicist has come to us with a guest. 
true life. Like it was almost embarrassing how quickly I responded to the publicist. Or actually, you don't know. You know what's even more embarrassing? What's that? That I told you we can't respond too quickly, or else we're <laughs> gonna look so crazy. So we waited for twenty minutes. True life is someone who, beyond the fact that yes, he has a fascinating life story. He was just someone who we loved his music and we loved his come up and we loved the fact that he was out here in these New York streets doing all these DVDs and this blog era rap stuff was a big part of our coming up. So to hear his story, it's it's not like he's doing a huge press run. It's not like he's on all the other podcasts. We wanted to hear his story and we thought that we could do a really great episode. And guess what? We did. This one is a stellar episode. I hope mm-hmm. everyone listens to this and, and takes a lot out of it because when it comes to real humans, like people who have been through real shit, this is right up there with the Mano episode, which we hold, you know, at the very top of the ladder. True life, man, has lived a lot of life. He grew up on the Lower East Side. He made a name for himself doing real shit. And got signed to Jay-Z after co-signs from Snoop Dogg and Interscope Records and and Ving Rhames. And he signs to Jay-Z. He signs to Rock La Familia through Def Jam. And really, like, you know, the, the sort of sky was the limit for him. He got caught up in a situation. He went to jail facing life for a crime he did not commit. And then had to sit behind bars for eight years while his kids grew up. Like it's life moved on. He explains his jail sentence in the most like harrowing and like like craziest terms. Like I and real terms. You know, this is this is it's just amazing that he is mind, body, and soul as complete as he is after dealing with that stuff. Yeah. Like he's he's somebody who you know, is obviously still going through some things, but like, but I'm so glad that he was able to, to give us that honest truth here. Like he didn't hold anything back. He was, he was game for any questions. And what results is, I think a perfect picture of somebody who was flawed, somebody who had a lot taken from him and somebody who came out of it, a better person amazingly. And, and is back doing what he loves, which is making music, and you guys should respect him for so much, but his honesty is is number one. So yep. shout out to True Life and his whole team over there at Empire and Free Bands and, and execs and, and all of them. So shout out to all of them. And obviously, we always love to give some uh, recommendations of other episodes that we've done of our podcast. If you like this one, if you like the True Life episode, you will absolutely love Episode number 42, as we said, with Mano. Shout out to Mano, one of our great friends in this business, the realest dude out there. We've worked with him in sketches, on music, we're friends in real life, but to hear his whole story is unforgettable. Please do yourself a favor and listen to that episode with our friend Mano. Episode number 114 with DJ K-Slay. Shout out to K-Slay, East Harlem, El Barrio, El Barrio. El Barrio. Yeah. Barrio. Yeah. Okay. So shout, shout out to our guy, K Slay. One of the most exciting episodes that we've ever dealt with because he has seen it all. He was there at the very beginning of hip hop. He has 
stayed relevant throughout and is one of the greatest storytellers and just funniest guys that we've ever had up here. Shout out to DJ K Slay. How about number 67, Dave East? Shout out to Dave East, also from the East Side. This was right before Dave signed with Def Jam. He had a hell of a story in terms of his come up, moving from the DMV area up here, getting signed to Nas, dealing against Kevin Durant. uh, Yeah, basketball stuff, dealing drugs, rapping, and, and coming out on top and getting that Excellent, excellent deal over at Def Jam. Shout out to Dave East for coming over here and telling a great story. Can I just do one more? Actually? Sure. Episode number 24 with Tax Stone. Shout out to Tax Stone. Keep your head up, Tax. This was one of those episodes that meant a lot to us because Tax didn't have to do this. Tax was on top of the podcast world. He and John Mena reached out to us and wanted to sit down with us so that Tax could be on the other side of the microphone and... Tell how he made it to one of the most, not just most important voices behind the microphone, but one of the most important A&Rs out there who put so many people on, figured out his own lane, his own system, and made stars from people, you know, and and then obviously Tax has gone through a, a bunch of stuff since then, and we're just so uh, grateful to have heard his story here at such an important time for him and for us. And once again, keep your head up, Tax. Uh, also, um, if you'd like to write to Tax, you can write at MDC Brooklyn Metropolitan Detention Center, P.O. Box 329002, Brooklyn, New York, 11232. Address it to Daryl Campbell. White envelopes only. Jeff, when do you want to get into this episode? Right now. Yo, what up? It's Eric, a.k.a. Lincoln Bio, a.k.a. Daniel Day-Lewis. Yo, what up? It's Jeff, a.k.a. Fuck With The Vision, a.k.a. Squinting. I don't know how to say my name that cool. They taught me, guys. My name is just true life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is your third favorite podcast, The Waste of Time, but it's the real. Yeah, yeah. Yo, true life, what's happening? Yo, listen, we've had so many people who you have meant a lot to. We had Sycamore up here. We had Cypher Sounds up here. We had Green Lantern. You mean a lot to us because we grew up in that blog era. Like, mixtapes were everything to us. I don't think anybody had a better intro than you had when Jay was on there and he was saying stuff like, like, yeah, <laughs> no, you know, and he was just like, he's like, if someone told you that that hove got hit in the head by a bottle, either someone's lying to him or he's lying to you, allow me to introduce you to true life. Like, yes, there's yes, nothing sir. better than that. Yes, sir. No, that was classic. That was definitely. Epic, or if there right is, there. tell us what it is, you know, yeah. no, what's, that was what's better. That was the, nah, I can't. I, that's kind of hard to top right there. Yeah. As far as an intro. Yeah. Hove definitely gave me a classic intro with that. So, OK, let's get right into it. You're from the Lower East Side, yeah. but where exactly are you from? Um, what you mean, like origin-wise? I'm yeah, Puerto, yeah. I'm Puerto Rican. So, well, no, no, yeah, we know no. that. I'm yeah. just Puerto saying, like, Rican. where in the Lower East Side? confusing when, like, white people ask, like, where you're from. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm from the Lower East Side. I grew up in the Lower East Side, but I reside in Jersey, man. So right shout on. out to Jersey. I love Jersey. But what was growing up on the Lower East Side like? Because it's not like it is mm. now. Yeah, it's Now totally it's a different. lot of, like, you know, no, gentrified. Yeah, people waiting way, in front of Supreme. Yeah, hate life and all that. Yeah, It's way different. The only thing ghetto down down there now is the projects that's pretty much left. Yeah. They knocked those down. They'd probably, you know, it's pretty much gone. But, you know, growing up down there, you know, I had my good times. I had my bad times. And, yeah, you know, it was like growing up in every other hood. You know, it was a lot of a lot of chaos. Were you in a big family? Um, I got two brothers. But, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood where we were like family, all my, you know, homeboys and stuff like that. It was like I had a hundred brothers. So, yeah. you know. You go to public school? 
Yeah. Yeah? What was that yeah. like? School was cool. I never thought, I'd be honest with you, I never really thought I was like a, a school kind of guy until I went to prison. And when I went to prison, I, I never thought I was smart enough like to do school just because of the type of situation that I grew up under. You know what I'm saying? The circumstances that I grew up under. And, um, you know, I didn't live a regular life. You know, I say I'm Brenda's baby. You know, I'm the baby when they say, you know, the, I say it as a metaphor. You know what I'm saying? Like, because they be like, oh, true life's crazy. I'm not crazy. I'm Brenda's baby. Like, if you looked at my life and then you will understand how I was able to make certain mistakes that I made in my life. And, you know what I'm saying? I had to live with. But, you know, it was just because of the circumstances that I grew up under. And those same circumstances didn't make me feel like I was smart enough to do school. And, you know, as an adult now, when I was in prison and I was like, wow, I got time, all this time on my hands, I can either work out and be in the yard and come home looking all brolic and diesel, or I can do something that's going to leave with me and, and stay with me for the rest of my life and accomplish something to show my kids and show myself and prove to myself that anything you put your mind to, you can do. So I went and got a GED while I was in there. Then I paid for myself to go to school and I got two different college degrees. Amazing. So, yeah, but before that, one as a kid- One in business and one in biblical, biblical studies. Biblical studies, yeah. yes, yes, yes. But, you know, as a kid, I just never thought school was for me, pretty much. So does that mean that you just like would cut school? Does that mean you um, just kind of gave up on school pretty early? Like I just felt like it wasn't for me. Like my circumstances that I was, you know, when you're growing up in crack houses and things of that nature, you know what I'm saying? When you're babysitted by, you know, heroin dealers and people are shooting up in the bathroom and you're not, you know, living a, a normal life. You know what I'm saying? I thought it was normal to me then. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, did you realize? You no, know, I didn't realize it then. You know what I'm saying? When... I didn't understand a lot of things. You know, my dream when I was a kid, I wanted to go to Disney World. I wanted my family to take me to Disney World. And, you know, all I knew was my little project buildings where I lived at. Like, I remember the first time I went to Jersey, I thought Jersey was like all rich white people. Then I went there and went to Newark and was like, what the fuck? What's this? You know what I'm saying? It was like, I, that's just how ignorant I kind of was just because of how I grew up. Yeah. That's all I knew was just my projects and all I knew was my situation. Like, I didn't have money to travel anywhere. We were really poor and, you know what I'm saying, grew up going on cheese lines to go eat and, you know, mom scrambling an egg with some rice to get through and sharing it with my brothers and sharing pants with my brothers and wearing no-name brand sneakers and, you know, I just didn't live a normal life that normal kids should have to live, you know what I'm saying? And... My circumstances, I didn't realize that they wasn't normal until I got to see what life was really about. And music kind of helped me a lot with that. And also a woman, when I met my wife, the mother of my two children, you know, she's the one who brought me out to Jersey and just showed me a different lifestyle and a different way of living than I knew of what life was for me. So know? if you took time as a middle schooler, as like maybe your early high school years to like dream outside of like the Lower East Side, was there a career that you thought, like, if I get out, maybe I could do that? Or was it even, like, were you able to even no, visualize that? No, nah, it was more just me wanting to accomplish it because I felt like, you know, once I started to do certain things as I as I grew older and I, you know, became successful in the music business and did certain things, I realized that anything you put your mind to, you can accomplish and you can do. So I said, even though, you know, circumstances as a child made me believe that I couldn't do this, I think if I put my mind to this right now, I'll be able to accomplish this. So once I did that, I was like, okay, 
Now I need to go further. Now I want to get my master's. I just don't have the time, you know, to go to school and study business and all that because of the music business and, you know, how much time this takes to develop artists that I'm developing, manage careers, you know, plus being artists myself. So I just don't have the time. But in a second, once I get the time, I would like to go back to get my master's and just do it just because, you know. When you're in those early teen years and you can't see beyond the Lower East Side, was there a thought to yourself like... I can I can better myself. I can I can become the best person that I can be while I'm here. Definitely. I just, you know, your whole life is flashing in front of your face and all you do is have time to think. There's nothing but you and your thoughts when you're in a cell. You know, most of the 24 hours that go by in a day, you're just there in a cell by yourself with your thoughts. So all I could do is think. And, you know, I thought about the mistakes that I made in my life. I thought about, you know, just everything, my whole, just certain things. I didn't realize how many things psychologically took effect on my life without me really even knowing, like, you know what I mean? Like how much baggage I was probably even carrying in my life until I went to prison. You know, I started thinking about, you know, my father, my mother, this, that, and, you know, just certain things. And it just it just made me realize a lot that I had going on. And I just knew that it was kind of, there was a lot of forgiving that I had to do too. I had to forgive a lot of people. I had to learn to forgive. And I was kind of stubborn. So I really wasn't the most forgiving person. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it took, like, I had to kind of learn. But I, one thing I learned is when I looked in that mirror and I knew I wanted God to forgive me for certain things that I've done in my life, not so much the crime that I was locked up for because I didn't commit that crime, Mm -hmm. but I just felt like if I want God to forgive me, I got to learn to forgive others. So at that moment is when I knew I had to learn to forgive. And sometimes I, I felt like certain situations there was that, that, that I've gone through in my life, it probably, I knew that the people didn't deserve me to forgive them probably, right? But it wasn't fair to myself to carry all this hate and all this anger. And I felt how heavy it was and how drowned my spirit was and how emotionally like it, it, it's took an effect to me that I felt like I deserved to forgive them because the minute I knew I would forgive them is the minute I was going to start feeling better and I would start living and, and, and live and just be free again. So I wasn't only locked up in prison. I was always locked up in my mind. That's why I got this thing on my arms that say ghetto inmates. The ghetto, you know, people be like ghetto inmates. Like, you, oh, you wrote an inmate on your arm? No, I'm not an inmate. I've never been an inmate. This was my first time going to jail, but I've been in jail my whole life. You never had and, a chance to be a child. No, most people I know been in jail their whole life in their mind. Mm-hmm. See, the ghetto's just not a place. It's a mentality. You could take a kid out the ghetto and then just put him in Beverly Hills, but he still may be in prison in his mind and is accustomed to living a certain kind of lifestyle and living by certain rules that not necessarily society lives by. You understand what I'm saying? But it's just where we live and, and how we grew up and the circumstances we grew up under. We grew up living under these crazy rules that probably make no sense to the rest of the world. Well, talk about like, you know, when you and we're jumping ahead by a lot. But like when you do find success in mm-hmm. a sort of like, you know, you're making money and your your name is out there, your face is out there. You're living this this life and you are like, you're trying to get through day to day. We wouldn't understand, you know, the box that you were in. Mm-hmm. And then, meanwhile, you are sort of putting together these math problems in your head of like how people are supposed to act, how you're supposed to be. Well, I really didn't recognize all of that. I wasn't, I ain't gonna say smart enough to recognize it. I was just, you know, living so fast with the music just day by day, you know, from running around with Jay Z to here to there to just so much going on that 
until I went to prison is when my whole world just slowed down and gave me that time to really think and analyze. Before then, I really wasn't so much dwelling on my life. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't realizing that I had so much baggage. So even while I was having success and I was running around with Jay-Z and doing this and doing that, I still didn't realize that I had all of this baggage. I thought it was kind of normal to have gone through what I'd gone through as a child, which it really wasn't. Mm -hmm. You know, Nothing I went through as a child was normal. Did you talk to anybody in prison or was this all like stuff that you're just like holding on to yourself? No, I didn't. And it was like I kind of just spoke to myself. It's crazy, right? Because I just recently saw a psychiatrist and mm -hmm. when I was talking to him, he was like, no disrespect, man. But he was like, wow, this shit is entertaining. And he was like, I don't mean it in a, in a disrespectful way, but he was like, I'm trying to say it with all due respect, but he's like, just wow. He's like, I, I interview mobs, you know what I'm saying? I, I sit here with mobsters who've been in the mafia and, you know, probably done a hundred hits and this, that, and third, and their, their story is not as appealing as yours. And it was, it's, it's just, I don't know, it's just kind of weird, bro. So how does music enter your life as a teenager? Music, I started kind of late, you know what I'm saying? Like, it wasn't like since a kid, kid, kid. It was more like my brother was rapping before me, and all my friends were rapping before me, and they were better than me. They were all good. I really wasn't that good, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, you said that recently. Yeah, because it's just the truth, to be honest with you. I feel like even when I did the record with Prodigy, I wasn't ready to do a record with, like, a lyricist like Prodigy, like, on that level, as far as lyrically... You know what I'm saying? Like he's he's one. He was he was a great 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 MC. And then I was on there with you know him and um, Coogee Rap, who's you know these are icons yeah. and legends in the game. And I feel like I did that record with them really really early, and I really wasn't ready. Like I feel like I'm one of those artists that are weird. That most artists come in at their prime, and then their stuff starts to decline and get bad. And you're like, oh, he fell off. Me, I feel like I didn't I didn't come in at my best. And right now, I'm just getting better and better as we go along because I feel like I mastered the craft and I was lucky enough to be in a studio with Snoop Dogg, be in a studio with Jay-Z, be in a studio with Bone Thugs and Harmony, Busy Bone in his prime, and watch Busy Bone do nine records and have all nine records come out and be hits all over the radio and win Grammys off of these records. And I just learned the craft and study because when I first used to write, I wouldn't think about how I was going to say what I was going to say. I would just think about what I wanted to say, but I would never think about how I wanted to express it, meaning the style, meaning the delivery, you know, meaning my, my cadence, how I wanted my voice to sound. My voice is an instrument. So I come from the era where it was like kind of Wu-Tang and it was just raw <laughs> mistakes and it was just grimy and it was crazy. Not to say that my stuff was horrible, even though to me, I look back and it kind of was. But at that time, it was the era where you could kind of get away with that because hip hop was so raw, where there'd be so many mistakes in, 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 in the Wu-Tang stuff. But, you know, where the ad-libs ain't perfect, the vocals ain't lined up right, it's not cleaned up the most, it's grimy, it's dirty, but it was genius at the same time so do you think it was your attitude and your presence that really sold you i think yes my my charisma my attitude my drive and just who i was kind of got me over the hump and always got me through the doors and you know now i just want to get to the point where i want to show people how talented i am because they don't realize because a lot of the drama when i got in the door and started to become successful a lot of it was always drama 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 so the drama was so big it kind of overshadowed everything else where we never really got a chance to get to the music. It was always drama either knocking me down. The drama helped me, yeah. which I didn't want to use it like these kids are using now for clout chasing and doing the stuff that they're doing. But it did help me in some in, in, in some areas where it got my name out there to get, you know, Jay-Z to know me, Ving Rhames to know me, this one to know me, you know, walk down the streets and couldn't walk through any ghetto without a kid recognizing me or running up on me. But at the same time, it affected my career where... 
it stopped me from getting in certain doors, lost record deals and pushed me back. And, you know, oh, he's crazy. It's like, you know, we love the, the industry loves the gangster image, but it doesn't love the gangster. Mm-hmm. You understand? Mm-hmm. So I had to learn the two. And I didn't really know coming in, you know, from the Low East Side. Not many rappers ever came out from the Low East Side. Yeah. Being Puerto Rican, not many Puerto Rican rappers in the game. So, you know, all these thoughts were in my head when I made a lot of these mistakes and I had to chip on my shoulder with the whole, you know, Mob Deep situation. I don't really want to get into that mm-hmm. too much. But, you know, when I did that crazy situation and ran in the studio with the guns, when they did what they did, you know, after me reaching out, you know, a million times and stuff like that, it was because I felt like... I was confused of watching the game and seeing rappers and thinking that this shit was real and that these rappers are saying certain things and we were living by it in the, in the hood and we were living every day, living, you know, running around with guns on us, drugs on us, selling drugs and we were living what they were rapping about so when we would watch them, we would think it was really real and then I got in the game and I realized it's not. It's entertainment. You know what I'm saying? No disrespect to Biggie Smalls but I don't think Biggie was a gangster. I don't really know him personally but pe- people love Biggie because I think he was a great lyricist and he was a great musician around the world and I think his music is loved and people appreciate his music but I think this is the only genre where it's like contradic- is a, the biggest contradiction in the world because it's like they want you to be a gangster where we, they kind of push we're like oh he's not that he doesn't live his lyrics like do we really expect that Biggie Smalls to live his lyrics and be a gangster so was that more frustrating disappointing or just eye opening to find that out no I think it's just it just gave me more knowledge of knowing how to move because what I see is right they'll disrespect the artist like Rick Ross and be like oh Rick Ross was a, a correctional officer XYZ and then it'd be an artist like me, right? So they're trying to discredit Rick Ross because you're saying he's not living it. He's not gangster enough because you're not saying his music ain't good because his music is incredible. So now you go to an artist like me and you'd be like, oh, True Life is the biggest dummy in the world. He's what, what a moron. Look at this stupid idiot. He threw his life away. And, you know, you have all the hip hop publications rip me apart and be like, he threw his life away. The kid had a promising career. He was with Jay-Z. Now look at him, stupid asshole. He's over there locked up in Rikers Island fighting for his life. He threw his life away. So it's a double-edged sword. I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. Right. If you're a gangster in hip-hop, it don't work. <clears throat> I learned that firsthand. If you're not a gangster in hip-hop, they're going to try to rip you apart. Other artists are going to try to discredit you. He's not this. He's not that. I don't, I don't understand it. It's, it doesn't make any sense. So well, my advice to any other artist out there is do your thing and don't worry about anything else because it really doesn't matter. You know, it only matters if you let it matter to you because they're going to talk about you regardless. Um, I was just going to say that uh, if you're not a gangster, then you start a podcast. That's, that's <laughs> what you do. Um, no, I think you can rap too. I think you just got to not pay attention to it is what I'm saying is because there's going to be rappers, there's going to be, you know, blogs or whatever. They're going to, you know, there's going to be people out here that's just going to look for their angle to attack you and to pull you down. This is the only art, um, you know, form of music that I know that does this, where we rip people apart because they're not this or they're not that. Like, we expect people to be, like, we want it, you know, Jay-Z to be Pablo Escobar then, I guess, because he rapped about drugs and did all type of stuff, like, you know, but come on, let's be real, Jay-Z's not that, so I had to really learn and, and just figure it out, and I learned it now, and I understand it, so... Now I'm just a square from Delaware, just making music, <laughs> baby, living my life, you know? So who was the first person to really, like, really pay attention to what you were doing? Um, That's kind of hard, but the one person I have to give the big credit to that I feel like got me over the hump was Snoop Dogg. You know, Snoop came and embraced me early in my career, brought me out to the Apollo, and, you know, we tore down the Apollo, and from there I was able to really get things moving and... 
What year is this? We did a couple records. It was right when I signed the rock before I signed the Rockefeller deal. And then after that, I ended up signing the Rockefeller because of me having that affiliation with Snoop Dogg and having these records and having this little bit of buzz around me. So he helped me out tremendously. And I just felt at the time it was important for me to be signed to a New York label. So I signed with Jay-Z, but I got Snoop Dogg to executive produce my album, so I still wanted to be loyal to Snoop Dogg. Not that I didn't want to sign to him. He was an icon. He's a legend. I just felt like I wanted to do something for New York at that time. Were you at Interscope before that? As a kid. That was my very first record deal as a kid. And um, it's weird, and I don't want to give away too much of my story because my story's so long, so complicated, and it literally is a movie, but that first record deal is kind of what led to me going to prison many years later because I was signing a record deal with an artist and that artist you know ended up having a relationship well not a relationship but a situation where he slept with my brother's girl and that came back to haunt me many years later so we ended up losing our record deal over that and many years later down the line it just built up an animosity between me and you know my neighborhood and his neighborhood and we were from the same neighborhood but different sections and it just led to an ongoing you know, stupidity thing, man. It just kind of followed, and, and I couldn't really prevent it. You know, the more famous I got, the more people in my neighborhood or that neighborhood were more jealous that, you know, it would be like, oh, you from the Low East Side or you from True Life's hood? So it became True Life. When you say the Low East Side, it became True Life. It was That's how you spelled Low East Side, True Life. And that created jealousy and envy and hate, and then that led to people wanting to try to rob people and, you know, trying to discredit us and, you know, such and such and such and me going to prison many years later. But the story is so much more complicated and so much, just so much, man. I never had a dull moment in my life. It's, it's literally, sometimes I feel like there's angels eating popcorn looking down at me, like literally rooting for me and I'm like just like entertainment form, I guess. It feels no, it's like just I'm, your I'm literally a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the first time that you walked down the street and someone was like, oh shit, true life? That was after the Beef DVD. Like, once the Beef DVD came out, all of that started to um, happen. You know, where I couldn't really walk down the street, and it wasn't like, you know what I mean? I wasn't regular no more. It was like, you know, Allen Iverson, you know, like, just everybody. They would just run down on me because the DVD era was just so big, and that was, like, the thing that cracked the gate for it all. And a lot of the sports players, like, you know, before they were, you know, go out there and play basketball or whatever game they were going to play. A lot of them were, you know, carry their little portable DVD players and they would watch these things in the back of the locker room or on planes or whatever. And I just started to come, I started to come, become very popular behind that in, in, in the industry pretty much. So nowadays there's a lot of thought that gets put into like kids are like, okay, cool. I got my own SoundCloud page. Yeah. I got my own Instagram. This is how I'm going to much like different. put my music out there yeah. when you were just doing mixtapes, smack DVDs, all of that, was there a thought that you're like, okay, cool, I'm going to distribute my music in this way and I'm going to get my name out in this way? Or um, did they crazy. just come to you? No, I've, I've, um, I've, I've kind of gone through a lot of different eras and survived a lot of little different eras. So there was always different ways. But I always did things our, you know, my own way. I always went against the grain and never like tried to fit in. And But, you know, when it was the mixtapes, we would put out mixtapes and we would just knock on every door and just constantly we would just... You know, um, we were very, very just wasn't trying to take no for an answer. We just kept going and going and going. But then the DVD era just opened up for me visually. And like my personality just by accident would just kind of shine through through the DVD. So it went from beef DVD with um, QD3, shout out to QD3, mm -hmm. to, you know, doing 
smack DVDs and cocaine cities with, you know, French Montana yep. and all these guys and me being very big in that whole lane and cracking an open, crack, I hope crack open that whole situation and it just became a wave. So I kind of created that wave where visually it was just crazy where my story was kind of being spread around more than the music was. And it was kind of overshadowing, but it was always drama. Somehow I was always getting caught in drama. Not that I wanted to because I'm the nicest guy in the world. Like I see a guy, I don't know you. I, don't, I say, what's up? Hey, how you doing? Respect, man. Peace. Those are the first words that come out of my mouth. Always peaceful words. Like I got a peaceful aura. But, you know, I do understand how a lot of the image that I had out there because of the drama I had going on and what I was portraying, because I was always putting things out. Not that I was trying to portray that, but when you're in a battle with somebody, it's not like I'm going to be up there, you know, hey, I'm the nicest guy in the world. No, <laughs> it was just like I wasn't doing videos. My videos were like attacking other people because I was in defense mode. And it's like if a guy puts out one song on you, you got to be prepared to put out 10. Mm -hmm. So if he puts out one this video, I'm going to put out 50. So it was like so much of it, and we were just so corner element, and I was so big and so good at it that everybody was always coming to me. So it was like being flooded. That just was what was being flooded, was the DVDs of all the negativity. So now you just look at me like a negative kid, and you don't really get to hear my story because there's no one elaborating with me and sitting down and really trying to hear my story. They're just trying to hear me talk about Jim Jones, me talk about Mob D, me just do something crazy, maybe have my boy pull out a gun so that you know the DVD could sell. So it wasn't about like, let's show who true life really is, that he's a nice guy, let's show who he is. Or no. that you can rap. Or yeah. that I can even rap. It was just more based on that. So. By the way, we don't need anybody pulling out guns because this is an audio-only thing. But we <laughs> no, can have I don't, like a I don't carry guns, man. I don't carry guns no more. It's weird, right? Because when I used to carry guns, everywhere I would go, I would get into an incident. Like literally, everywhere I would go. I, it wouldn't matter. Like I would go to a record company and I would have the gun on me and I would see an enemy or somebody who, you know, who had beef with one of my homeboys. Anywhere it would just happen because when you're when you're doing when you're living when you're carrying something so negative on you because that gun is something negative, mm. so it brings a certain kind of energy and it's like laws of nature. Like negative attracts negative. It just comes. So now that I don't carry guns and I don't really. Like I walk around with a different type of aura. Like I did, I got a different kind of protection protecting mm -hmm. me now. Before I used to have to wear a bulletproof vest. I'd have came in with a gun on me and a bulletproof vest and 50 goons outside or at least three. And all three of them would have had a gun on them and we'd have had a bulletproof vest on because it was really real. I was really living that life, mm -hmm. you know. Now I come in here with, you know, real guys who really want to help me. And we just put God first and we come in here with that God over and we got angels around us. Yeah. Now I come in here with angels. Angels just walked in here with us. Yeah. So you didn't see an army and maybe three of us, but it's 3,000 angels surrounding us right now. The energy that you put yeah. out comes So out, yeah. I, I can see an enemy outside and, and nothing's going to happen just because that's how God got me. Like when when... When God got you, man, he got you, man. Like, I've been in, I've walked into prisons where they'd be like, yo, watch it. When you walk in there, they're going to kill you. And I walk in there, like, no gun, no nothing, and it, it didn't happen. Nobody killed me. Nobody harmed me. Nobody hurt me. Not because I was the toughest guy, just because God didn't allow them to. Mm. That's what I feel. God didn't allow them to. He just made them see something in me. He put something in them in that moment where it just didn't happen. You know, it just didn't happen. Um, Ving Rhames found you through the Beef the DVD. Yeah. Um, what was your What is your friendship like with him? He's like a father figure to me, man. He just hit me the other day. Like he, he gets mad that I don't call him, and <laughs> I just feel like you know I'm the type of person where you know the Muslims when I was locked up they used to call me Afif. Afif means the one who gives, but when in need 
never asks. Like, you know, never, never, never goes and like asks people to help him. You know what I'm saying? Even when he's in need. But he's always had to take his shirt off his back and give it to the whoever. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. To do whatever. So I feel like Ving Rhames has helped me in my life already a lot. Like there was times in my life before I got the deal with Jay-Z... You know, he had called my house and he was like, you know, literally he had told me like, I don't go to church and give back 10% of my money or 15% of my money, whatever it is, and ties. Like, I like to give it to the people. Like, I give it to people hands on. He was like, give me a number, what you need? Like, I'm like, give me a number. I'm like, bro, I'm good. I'm good. I'm like, I don't need nothing. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm being dead serious. This is a true story. Yeah. My rent wasn't paid. Like, for literally, I was about to get evicted. Like, my rent was literally not paid. I was about to get evicted out of my apartment. I was blackboard out the game. This was before the DVD drop of the Beef DVD. Mm -hmm. And the Mob Deep situation already happened. I was blackboard. Nobody wanted to mess with me. And he called me up. And he pretty much told me, like, you know, what I needed money-wise, that he wanted to give me money. And I wasn't signing him. He wasn't trying to manage me. He wasn't trying to do anything. He just wanted to literally give me money. And I couldn't understand it. And I was like, nah, bro. I said, God bless your heart. But I don't, I don't, I'm not going to take it. I can't do it. I said, thank you, though, bro, because I'm stubborn like that. So he asked me for my address and act like he was going to send me a movie or what I mean, um, something like to send him a song for a movie and we were going to do something. And he asked me for my address. I gave it to him. And one day I went to the mail. I opened it up and there was a check there from Ving Rhames. <laughs> Holy shit. You know, so I was like, wow, I could not really believe it. I was like in shock. I literally cried. So he sounds I, like an angel. No, he is. So, um, you know, he gave me the money and um, I called him up and I was like, wow, I really didn't want to take it. He said, nah, you must take it. So I said, this is what we'll do then. I said, um, as soon as I get on my feet and I get a record deal, I'm going to give it back to you and I'm going to give you a little interest on top. I'm going to give you the money back. So I had called him and he was like, no way. What he had told me was, he said, no, what I want you to do is when you get in position, because one day you will and I know you will. And when you get in that position... When you can help somebody, I want you to help them. No strings attached the same way that I helped you. That's all I want you to do is give back and help somebody else when the time comes and you're in position to do that. So I lived my life moving from that day forward the same way. So I do things. I do it from the heart. I don't do it looking for anything. You know, if I can help somebody, I help them. But yes, he is an angel. So I remember calling and I called after I got the deal with Jay and I called him up and I was like, man, I'm so proud of you, bro. I mean, um, I called up to tell him. That I got the deal, and I was like, yo, I got your check, man. I actually got a little interest on that for you. He was like, nah, I don't want that. You know what I'm saying? He didn't want to take the money at all, and I tried to give it back to him, and he, he didn't take it. So that's our relationship, man. He's just been like a father figure to me, and I don't really call him much because I feel like I never want to call him to ask him for anything. Like, I want to call him when I feel like I, I'm where I need to be, and I'm like, bro, I did it. Look, I did it. And, and, and the person that you believed in and the person you invested your time into – is you know made it happen what has you, he also had um sorry has he also had like tough conversations with you because like as a father yeah figure, he, no he, he talks to me about all type of things like if he don't like certain things i'm doing with my image or certain things i'm saying or whatever he'll call me up and he'll tell me yo man i've seen this thing on youtube or xyz or you know what's going on or he'll, he'll, he'll call me up but for the most part you know, i've been doing the right thing and he knows that i've been doing the right thing and you know I, we don't really have too much of that he just knows the kind of individual i am he knows that my heart is really pure so um, it's just more him just calling. He always just calls to check in on me. He's be like, what's up, man? When, you know, when's the album coming out? Or, you know, things like that, man. He's just been a, a great, great guy, man. He's not like most people in his game that I've seen him help so many different people and, you know, no strings attached. Not like he's trying to get something out of them and nothing. He'll just do it just to do it. Where did you start recording? Like when you were like just at the if beginning I of your If I told you that, you wouldn't even <laughs> believe me. 
one of my first songs, like pretty much when I really started to make music, was in New Kids on the Block's house. What? what? Yes. I never really told nobody that either. Like that was in Marky Mark, you know, Mark Wahlberg, yeah. the famous Mark Wahlberg. Yep. Yes, I know him as Marky Mark. Yes, in his house in Boston and him and his brother Donnie. Shout out to Donnie. You know, my boy Fat Cat from, from my neighborhood who inspired me to get into music was a famous producer and he's kind of like influenced us to do music because, you know, he would bring a lot of rappers and different people. And Donnie once even actually like lived in the projects with us pretty much in my boy's house. While he was already famous and everything, he stood down there super humble and he used to just stay in the house and have, have a room in my boy's um, apartment in the projects. You know, while he was filming like one of these big, I don't know exactly what movie it was, what show it was, but he was filming in New York. He had to stay here. Instead of getting a hotel, he stood in projects in my boy's house. Whoa. Were you just like, why? <laughs> nah, why? I just know he's humble, you know, humble. Humble people do humble things, you know, don't don't need the most. They don't got to do the extra things. So what was the was first? in his house. He had a huge studio in his house, like a big SSL. Like, <laughs> you know, they used to be fans from overseas, like outside, like literally, like just outside in front of his house. Going crazy, just trying to get a peek at them. <laughs> it was different kind of. That's when I started to learn about groupies. Different yeah, yeah. levels. There was different levels. The different levels of groupies. So then, what are the meetings like when when record companies start to take interest? Because Jay wasn't the first, was he? No, like I said, Snoop was the first. Mm -hmm. So Snoop brought, I think it was Geffen. He brought Geffen over to the studio, and um, he um played some records because me and Snoop went into the studio immediately, did a bunch of records. They were amazing. And then I had a couple records that I had. And then, you know, that me and Sycamore were actually doing in the street that we just had got started to do because I stopped rapping when I had got blackballed and I kind of gave up until Sycamore kind of heard the um, mixtape. Before it was a mixtape, he heard the New New York record mm -hmm. and he kind of helped me put the mixtape together and like just gave me the confidence to do it again. He was like, bro, you have to rap. There's no way that you can't rap and you're sitting on all this music. You got too much star quality and music is too strong. He couldn't believe he heard those records. And then me and Sick just started to run around and grind again. And that's when the whole Snoop Dogg thing happened. And Snoop helped me get it to the other level where labels started looking for me and then Green Latin actually I became friends with Green Latin and um Green Latin brought me to Jay-Z because just, I had seven yeah, deals Green at the table. Green just texted by the way yeah I, that's what's up <laughs> yeah. that's that's the homie so I had seven deals at the table and um Green had called me he was like you know what you're gonna do and I was like I really really I said it's crazy the only person I haven't met with yet is Jay-Z and I said I got all these other labels trying to sign me but I said before I take anything I said I, I don't know why I feel something in my heart that I feel like I want to sit with Jay since he's such a big New York artist and I feel like I can help bring something to the movement so he was like I could do that and I was like Shit, I was like, so if you can make it happen, make it happen. <laughs> so he said, hold on, give me one second. I'm going to call him right now. And he called him, and that was it. He called him, and he was like, yo, Jay, you got to meet with this guy. Like, right now, this kid got seven deals on the table. He's like, I'm about to leave. He's like, Jay, you got to meet with this guy. I'm telling you. He was like, like that? He was like, like that. He was like, all right, bring him to the office. And I went up to the office, and they didn't, Jay didn't let me leave his office pretty much. We did the deal in one day. First time that's ever happened. Like, usually a record deal may take a month. Going back and forth with attorneys, you may know you got the deal, but they're doing the paperwork back and forth. My attorney at the time was Eminem's attorney, Theo Settlemeyer. Yep. Mm -hmm. And Theo, me and Theo were going back and forth from in Jay's office to the bathroom. We're going to the bathroom. Hold on a second. We're going to the bathroom. Come back. Okay, we'll do this. Okay, go back. Hold on a second. Go back to the bathroom and talk. True, you really want to take that? Or you don't want to do that? You want to bluff him? Say this, say that. You're always playing that kind of game. So what was it like leaving that office with that deal that night? 
we didn't that morning. Oh, that morning. <laughs> that morning, we spent a lot of hours at Def Jam. You know, it was the whole staff. They were just hype, playing my music, going crazy. And Juan was just super excited. Shout out to OG Juan. Yeah, yeah. That's like a. That's not even my friend. That's like my brother. You know, he's co-owner at Rock Nation, and mm-hmm. I'm super proud of him and everything that he's accomplished in his life. And he's definitely been a true believer and stood by my side even to this day. You know, and, and, and rides with me forever. You know, Rock La Familia. Yeah. That's what, forever. And what did Cypher Sounds mean to you? Cypher Sounds was my A&R. So he started off like I built a relationship with him over there as as my A&R. Then he became literally my brother. Mm-hmm. Just like um, it wasn't even a record thing. It was like we were just family. You know, Cypher even came to see me all the way in Clinton Correctional Facility, mm. which is damn near seven to eight hours away, you know, at the borderline of Canada, you know, all the way out. When my own friends I grew up, my own family I grew up with me, like, didn't come to see me. He would take trips all the time, make sure I was good. So there's no words to describe as far as Cypher sounds. Like, that's literally, like, my brother. Mm. How'd you meet T.I.? T.I., um, my manager, who's Jilly Iyer, she's part of the camp, you know, along with um, the execs and my boys right here. Mm-hmm. Um, Jilly Aya started off with me. I met her some some years back, and she started off with me before she started with T.I. She was co-managing Jennifer Lopez, and then after Jennifer Lopez, Jennifer Lopez she did when I was in when I was locked up, and then after Jennifer Lopez, she went over and started managing T.I. So she introduced me to Tip when I came home, and we kind of built that relationship. He came to the studio, just gave me advice, and you know was just telling me how much music changed, and he was like, "Don't be scared to kind of like change up the flow." And, you know, kind of like, you know, not lose who I was. He wasn't telling me, yo, go sell out and try to be a young boy. But he was just like, you know, the old stuff is old and different and (laughs) may not work right now. And we need to try different types of communication in this studio in the nicest way. He told me of, (laughs) if you want to make this happen out here, which you can and you have an opportunity to play again, really understand and study this game as far as musically of the sound and the bounces and like figure it out where it's you but you know what I mean like don't be scared to play with the bounces and the flows but so, T.I. usually uh, uses like you know four syllable words you know a lot of like SAT words so yeah, like, yeah. you have to imagine it like that <laughs> <laughs> so when you were first in that Rock La Familia deal I know I know now you say like all right, I wasn't as good a rapper as I am now. But back then, did you really believe? It wasn't, like, I mean, even before the Rock Life Familiar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, even though then I wasn't as good as I am now neither. Right. Mm. But I, I started to learn a little more by the time I got there. You know what I mean? I was a little bit more developed. And then it just kept getting better and better because I started to really learn more of like how important delivery was, not just what you were going to say. Yeah. Like the message is cool, but if you can't, capture my ear to make me listen to what you're saying, then I'm not even going to listen to what you're saying. So the main thing is delivering it in a cool way, the way it sonically sounds right and makes me feel right, that'll get me to now get into understanding your lyrics. So what's what's one track that you had back then that you felt like was the one? No, I have a, I have a record that was super serious that was actually on a True York mixtape, but didn't get the notoriety it should have got because the mixtape got more than notoriety like me and Rick Ross toured the whole country pretty much he had every damn hustling he had his album out and I just had a mixtape out and we were selling out shows everywhere Mm. and killing them everywhere and I just had the mixtape but the drama once again was all based around me beefing with Jim Jones and Cameron and the whole dip set so that was so big that 
it kind of overshadowed the other music where I had important records on it that were really strong. And it was a record called I Hate Rap that is probably one of my favorite records to this day. Mm. And that's at the tail end of the mixtape. Yeah. 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 Um, it was called I Hate Rap. Where it was very creative, like it was records like something you would expect from like Nas, Eminem, like real rappers, real artists, Jay Z, like all real artists hear that record and be like, bro, you bodied that. Mm. Like it was one of those, you know, but everybody was so caught up into, yo, you bodied them boys over there. You understand what I'm saying? With the disses and all that, that, you know, it, you got to that record, but it was like it just kind of got overshadowed. I don't want to spend too much time talking about Jim Jones, but I do have to ask, what was his MySpace password? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I never hacked his page. He hacked my page, actually. I don't know if he did it. I kind of, I, I got to ask him that question. Yeah. It was that good, nigga. Yeah. I want to hack my, I want to hack my girl's Facebook right now, man. I want, I want to hack her Instagram or give, give me that guy that y'all use because y'all hacked my shit for a little while. They hacked my page yeah. and kind of reflipped what I had, like, you know what I'm saying, as the cover, and they, like, they put it on my page and stuff right. or whatever. It was cool. Touring around the country with Rick Ross. Yeah. And, mm. and you're seeing, you know, I'm sure stages you never thought you would touch before. You're seeing crowds you never thought you'd be in front of before. Well, we were like? both kind of new, so it yeah. wasn't like we were on the biggest stages. We were doing clubs. It was club tours, yeah, but yeah. it was chaos, to be honest with you, everywhere, because it was like when I told you, I still had that energy around me, and I had it around me more now, because why? I'm into a negative situation. I'm beefing with another rapper. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to perform a record that's like to make people feel good in the crowd. I'm not going there to perform hit records that I got. I'm going there to perform a record and pull out, you know, chains that belong to other rappers and perform all these records. So I was still running around with this energy. So that energy was a magnet. So everywhere we go, it was, you know, it was more shootouts. Than than yeah. No, shootouts, yeah. clubs being closed down and fights and brawls, dudes getting stabbed, dudes getting shot, dudes getting beat up. It was real. I remember, you know, I got this scar right here, and that happened in Chicago, and it was like, Jay-Z called me. He was like, man, he said, I knew this shit was going to happen. I just ain't think it was going to happen this fast, because it was the first day of the show. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, what you want me to do? They hit me with a bottle, like, mm. cut my face. Like, someone hit me with a bottle in my face. There's no way, you know, at that time, we just... I don't even know if they even this time, so I don't want to say no time. Yeah. Nobody's going to cut my face, and I'm just going to be good with that. But the way we reacted was just the way that we knew how to react, which was with violence in a violent way. And, you know, even though we were in Chicago, we pretty much caused a riot. And they were trying to sue Def Jam and sue Jay-Z and sue me. And mm. But, you know, they started it as far as, like, what they did. What was the Lower East Side thinking of you at this point? Was they was it support? Of course, I'm loved and hate. I'm loved and hate. You know, in my own, you know, people in my neighborhood, they love me. But then, you know, there's people where I told you, there's, you know, there's people that had their lives lost in my neighborhood. So there's going to be people that, you know, no matter how much I explain my situation of, oh, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I wasn't the cause of this. Oh, this person did this. This person did that. And all of my stuff, if I told you right now, you'll understand mm -hmm. because it's not personal for you. But now, if you were the family member of someone who passed away, are you thinking of what your family member may have did or didn't do to someone else right. to lead to his death? Or are you just going to be bitter and just not care and blame true life, who's the easy scapegoat you see on TV and you hear the name the most? So even though if it was someone in my entourage, even if it was someone in my family, even if it was someone who did it, you're still going to blame me. Right. So there's no way for me to really clean up someone's family feeling some sort of way, someone's close friends that feel some sort of way. 
they're not gonna look at their wrongs. They're gonna look at mine. Right. Mm-hmm. Or or not even my wrongs. They're gonna look at my family's wrongs. Whoever it was, they're just gonna blame me. And that's just what's happening right now. Yeah. So there's the love and there's the there's the love and hate. You know, and it's it's crazy because people will love me around the world, and then it's like you know I represent my neighborhood. All I ever wanted to do was bring peace to my neighborhood, and all I wanted to do was bring opportunity to my neighborhood. The, the main thing I wanted to do was bring opportunity, bring jobs, and bring help to these people and to bring them hope, to give them hope and to show them that what I did, if I could do this, they could do this. And if I did this from nothing, then they can do the same. And I brought so many people around me to the well to go drink out of that same water that I'm drinking from. I brought so many people around Jay-Z, Beyonce, you know, um, Quincy Jones, um, the biggest guys in the business, like superstars, like next level icons that no one can get next to. I brought them next to all of them. And at the end of the day, it still wasn't enough. I learned like there's no such thing as keeping it real and going back to your neighborhood and keeping it real. I thought I couldn't be a sellout. I thought I had to be this. It's never enough. It's like you give somebody $100, he's mad you didn't give him 1000 You give somebody 1000 he's mad you didn't give him 100000 you know, you go and buy yourself a a, a a car, he's mad you didn't buy him that car first. You might not have the money yet to buy two cars. You may be just be leasing this car. It's just, you know, half of this shit is perception. You know, perception is bigger than reality in this game. So it kind of helps you create enemies along the way, too, of your own friends, your own circle. Because where we come from is poverty. Mm-hmm. Everyone's poor. Where we come from is people will kill you. A dude will offer you 5000 to go kill his enemy. And you may go and take it. You understand what I'm saying? So the mentality is so backwards and it's so retarded that, you know, for them to see me on TV or for them to see me in a car is like it creates hate when they're not in that car. They feel like they're supposed to be in that car first. They feel like, oh, he's on a billboard with Jay-Z. It just, it just, your own people around you, you can't even share like, hey, um, I got to, yo, you know, um, Fat Joe just called me to do a record or, or Johnny Depp just called me to be in a movie. You know, you might be excited and you go to share that and it's like they don't know how to handle that because they're going back to these crazy circumstances. And whether they want to or not, they end up hating you and they end up hating on you. And it's like I had the, the people nearest near me pretty, I, I guess, kind of hating on me. And I had to learn that as I, as I went along. It was just the whole thing was just bad. Man. That's almost an impossible situation, by the way, to have people try to understand. It, it's not like you're like, oh, yeah, I want to elevate to this The position. impossible situation is to try to have one foot in the streets and have one foot in the game. That's my point, as I'm trying to make. It's impossible to keep it real and be the dude who, yeah, I'm in the hood, and yeah, I'm in the neighborhood, and I'm here, and I'm there, and there, and have all these dudes around, because you're not going to be able to please all those dudes. Right, right. How was it to transition to, you know, living in the suburbs then? Oh, it was great, man. <laughs> Going home, seeing deers on my lawn yeah. and stuff like that. So I'm like, man, how gangster can I really talk? <laughs> you know, you go home and there's deers outside, you know? It's little reindeers running around. I'm like, Rudolph. <laughs> Just want to take a second to interrupt this podcast to remind you that holiday season is coming up. Holiday season. And there's no better time and no better place than right now and itsthereal.com slash shop to get your loved ones, your relatives, your girls, your side chicks, anybody behind bars. Yeah. If you want to get a present, the place to go is itsthereal.com slash shop. Get a rhyme book. Get a t-shirt. We're going to have sweatshirts soon. It's thereal.com slash shop for Hanukkah, for Christmas, for Kwanzaa, for... What are their holidays? Just a, you know, any... Just a Monday? Any Tuesday. Yeah. Get your gifts. 
at itsthereal.com slash shop and tell us that tell us we're doing an okay job no i was gonna say tell us that like ramon sent you okay yeah just ramon tell us that ramon sent you itsthereal.com slash shop and now back to true life so obviously you learned about like the negative stuff but what'd you learn about like loyalty I've always been loyal, man. I've learned no, that not from the other people, though. I've learned that loyalty is there's no such thing as loyalty in the street. No one's loyal to anyone. You know, every rule that they tell you in the streets that is real is a facade. It's a lie. You know, when I went to jail, I've seen every gangster, gang member do everything that you said you're not supposed to do. They say, oh, you're not supposed to. If you're in a gang, excuse me, no disrespect to any gays or whatever, but you're not supposed to be a homosexual. Well, they're in there having sex with guys. Oh, you're not supposed to be a junkie. Well, they're in there using drugs. You're not supposed to do X, Y, Z. You're not supposed to tell. You're not supposed to do this. They're doing everything that they can possibly do. They don't care. Every, every, it's every man for their self in the street. And in prison, it's the same way. It's every man for themselves, And they trick you and they make you think it's a, a, another facade. And, you know, there's these guys who have life in prison, right? So they don't have nothing to do, right? So you don't have life in prison. You're young. Mm-hmm. They're going to make you feel like you're a part of them, you need them, and they're loyal, and they're this, and they got your back and X, Y, Z. Why? Because they're going to manipulate you to get your girl to bring them the bag. The bag in jail is the balloon stuffed with drugs in it mm-hmm. so that he can make a living because he doesn't have family that cares for him. His family probably died. His family gave up on him a long time ago because he's a scumbag. He's a dirt bag, and he has 55 years to life. He's never coming home, ever. So... His girl's no longer writing him. His friends, they're not his friends anymore. So what does he have? He has nothing but to manipulate all these other little young kids that are coming in and out the door of making them feel like they need to be part of this gang and it's a brotherhood and I really love you and I got your back and I'm XYZ. But meanwhile, he really is the opposite of every rule that he's going to give you and apply to, apply to you. And, and he brings you down to his level. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a ma- manipulation game. So Prison is, is built off of manipulation. When Pretty much. And it, with the gang system and, you know, because the gangs kind of can, you know, control the, the the force controls the jail. Violence controls the jail. The gangs, the drugs, the, you know, controls the jail. Yeah. So it's just it's just a weird situation. So you were looking at a long bid. Mm-hmm. How did you... I was looking at life. How did you, how did you process that? Um, I bit my arms. <laughs> I cried. I looked in the mirror. Um, lost weight, 30 pounds in um, less than a month. Looked like I was dying. I used to bite my arms all the time. I remember I used to go down on visits, right? And, you know, my wife would come up or whatever, and um, she would look down, and she would look at my arms and be like, what the hell? And she would look at my arms. She was like, you're biting yourself. And I'm saying this with no shame because it's real. I like to be real, true life, right? Yeah, I used to bite my arms. You know why? When I would think about my children and I would hear their voice, I would go in a cell and I couldn't take it out of my head. And it was so painful and ripping me apart where they're telling me I'm going to get life and I'm about to do life in prison and I'm locked up for a crime I didn't do. And I'm like, this can't be real right now. This can't be. And it was like literally driving me crazy. And I was like, wow, I failed my children. And I'm like looking at the walls and I'm seeing other names of inmates who was there before me and I'm 30 pounds wet with bricks in my pocket, can't recognize myself. When I looked in the mirror, I felt like I was dead, literally, like I died. So I used to bite my arms because I felt like I'd rather have felt physical pain than feel a pain in my mind because mental pain is even worse. And there was nowhere for me to go, no one for me to talk to, no way for me to let it out. 
no way for me to really get an understanding because it was like, at the end of the day, you really want like, okay, am I getting life right now or am I not? Like you're dying to hear that. Like I need to know what I'm dealing with so I can be prepared to deal with it and just deal with it. I know what it is. I know how I deal with my children. I know to tell my wife to leave me. I know to tell my kids, you know, to, to go heal. Whatever it is, I can't hold on to the outside. I can't. Like, you know, my wife is trying to hold on to a relationship with me. My kids are this, that, everything. When you have a family, that makes it worse. You know what I'm saying? So it was like that was driving me so crazy that I'd rather have felt physical pain. I'd rather have broke my arm on the wall, sat in the ER downstairs or whatever, get an outside hospital visit and think about the pain of dealing with, damn, this shit hurts, than to deal with these thoughts that I had in my head that no one can take out. I couldn't take them out. No medication, nothing. I took anxiety medication. They gave me medication of depression, anxiety, everything. Nothing could get it out. I was just stuck. I was lost. I was crazy. So for me to come out here and do what I'm doing right now, I'm literally walking on water as a testament of God. Like it's God and is is showing you that God is real. And the reason why I said walk on water, because Jesus walked on water to show that God was real. And that's what I'm doing. I'm proving all the haters wrong by, you know, who said I was too old, I was too um, I was too washed up, I wouldn't be able to adapt to the new sound of music. I'm just wasn't gonna be able to do it, you know, and I'm proving all of the haters wrong. And how I'm doing that by walking on water and doing the impossible. Mm. And the impossible is possible with God, and God is with me, and that's what I'm out here doing, making great music and living my life and um feeding my family and and just doing what I love to do. Yeah. I I mean just like I, I just want to take a second. Like that is the most horrifying image that you had to go through. I mean, like I I can't even. How did you? It's real though. How man. did you inside? I think I think there's there's two ways you can go. Right, you can you can buy into this is this is the rest of my life right here, and uh. and sink into those thoughts and get into the routine of everything you have to go through. You're living in a cell. You're dealing with people who tell you where to go, what to do, at what time. You know, I'm, all that. I, I'm, I'm gonna be dead honest with you. I keep forgetting to say this one thing. I'm not gonna lie. I have to give a shout out. I almost want to meet him one day because he saved my life. My mother kept sending me books, spiritual books, for me to like, because my mother's very religious and spiritual. And she sent me a book by Joel Osteen called A Better Na- A Better Life Now. Oh. Joel that, Austin. Joel, Joel Austin. Yeah, okay, he's yeah, not Puerto yeah. Rican. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, I'm sorry. I pronounced his name wrong. She sent me that book of him, and um, I just read it. I don't know what it was like. I was just trying to do things to get my mind off of, and I really didn't have nothing to do. There was no TV. There was no nothing, and I just had that book. And I said, let me read this book. And I started to read it, and I couldn't put it down. It was like... He wouldn't just talk about the Bible, but he would like break down the Bible, but he would break it down in his own way. So it was very relatable because he would make it his life. And he has such a gift with words and metaphors of how he would take things out the Bible, but just tell you stories about his life. And it was just very relatable. And it just gave me this sense of, hold on a second. I'm true life, right? Besides me being true life, I am a child of God. And there's no way... I'm ever supposed to put my head down and give up. Through the toughest of circumstances, I must keep my head up, and it's a sin from God to question God's will. So if it's in God's will for me to get life, then I'm going to get life. If I'm not going to get life, then I won't get life. Whatever God wants for me is what's going to happen. I can't sit here and just dwell in the 
worrying, even though they got me in a worry state, and I can't give up. I got to put my head up. Mm. And from that day, I started to put my head up. It started to give me a little strength. I started to gain my weight back a little bit. I started to work out, and I just kept reading his book. I would read it all the time, and it would get me in a positive mode. That's what made me like want to do um, biblical studies when I was up north because I just wanted to um, not only learn, but like just be around something that was positive to escape. Escape the gate noise. You know, the gate noise is 24 hours a day of dudes yelling, yo, yo, you know, baby got more money than most ignorant, stupidest conversations in the world. Yo, baby got more money than Jay-Z. You crazy? <laughs> Jay got way more money than him. And then, you know, I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, you can't be you can't be doing t- this to me, Lord. Uh. I'm sitting here trying to sleep and this is what I got to hear. And then they, they yell and the way they talk in prison, like... They, they say things 40 times. They have to repeat it when they say it on the gate. So you'd be like, yo, Jay-Z, Jay-Z, he got way more money, way more money than baby. You know what I'm saying? Like they'll repeat it though, like literally like 40 times. And it's like the most ignorant conversations you'll hear on the gate talking about the most dumbest shit. They're yelling and screaming and try a couple hundred people all yelling and screaming at the same time, back and forth. People are throwing kites and, and, and passing lines and it's just chaotic. So I used to just put up my curtain and just try to kind of escape from all of that where I would just find peace and serenity by just studying God and, and religion and different things. And it would like take me out of there. I would just escape out of there. I wouldn't be in prison for um, a little while. Were you able to listen there. to music as well or just? Yeah, but it was like we wouldn't be hip to none of the new style, none mm-hmm. of the new music and stuff like that. Because all we had was like 106. I don't know. It was BET. Now, I don't know if it was 106 in Park yet. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was off at that time or what. But we had BET. If I'm not mistaken, it might have been 106 in Park. We're still playing videos. So we had that channel. So we would see that. And then we would get tapes. But in Clinton Correctional Facility, it's one of the oldest facilities and one of the most toughest facilities. So they don't let in just any old tape place. So it was like hard to get in tapes. And... It was a lot of old music. There was like, you know, dudes in there listening to Tupac and Biggie mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. And the old New York, not really like what's going on now. Yeah, 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 yeah. They don't really know about really, I don't know if it's changing right now, but there wasn't like, we wasn't in there going crazy to like, Little Uzi Vert was not being played in a prison. Right. You understand mm-hmm, what I'm mm-hmm, saying? Like mm-hmm. dudes were not in there like... You know, um, doing the shoot doing dance, a, doing yeah, 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 yeah. Black boy JB. Yeah, yeah, no one was in the yard doing that. Right. You understand what I'm saying? So it was like we're living way behind. We were stuck way, way behind. So that's why it's so crazy that people be like, "Damn, like how he didn't miss a beat." Like and and so in tune, and the music sounds so natural right now and sounds so relevant because they're thinking like, "Damn, he must have been in there like listening to wow, like music." But no, I wasn't. So we've had. You know, guys up here, Mano, when he did time, he didn't mm-hmm. want he didn't want visitors. Did you want people to come see you or, or nah, not see that? you're kind of broken, you know what I'm saying? Like, at times, it depends what part. When I went up north, sometimes you kind of, like, wanted visitors, except, you know, um, when I was facing the time, I didn't want visitors. Then when I, you know, when, I, when it was over and I was up north and I was dealing with it, you know, you wanted at least to see your friends and your family, the ones that really cared. Because then I learned another thing was I, want, I had fake friends, 
that were coming. Fake friends who just wanted to come because they heard a rumor that I killed myself or attempted to kill myself. What? So they'll, so they'll, they'll come like to see like, dude, like you'll see them looking for the rope mark around your neck. Like, oh, I heard True Life hung himself. There'll be rumors. Oh, True Life tried to hang himself. Oh, True Life is in PC. Oh, True Life is this. Oh, True Life is that. So they'll come and I'll know because it'll be like, bro, like I'm sitting here facing life in prison. You came here to see if I was in fucking PC or if I tried to kill myself or if I was this or if I was that. You really showing me who you are right now. You understand what I'm saying? So it's like, you don't give a fuck about me. You're not even, you know what I'm saying? Like, you worried about true life. Nigga, this is Robert Rosado locked up in here right now. You understand what I'm saying? This is supposed to be your brother. So it's just you learning. It's just like, man, I don't even, and then the shit don't even be true that they're coming to even see you about. But it's like, whether it was true or not, shouldn't even been the point. It shouldn't even matter. It wouldn't way, even matter, like, if I was on medication, if I tried to kill myself, if I was in fucking PC, if I was here, if I was there, what the fuck does that have to, you know what I mean? Like, you should have been coming here like, bro, you okay? You good? You need yeah, anything? Yeah. Your family needs anything? I'm coming to see how my brother's doing. Yeah. Give a fuck about nothing else. I'm, just, I'm coming to see how my bro's doing. Yeah. You holding on? You know, the kids need anything? They need me to come paint their room? Or X, Y, and Z? Like, so when you don't get that, it's just, like, heartbreaking. So it just showed me, like, I really had no friends you know, I maybe wanted to survive, but I really, like, lost 98%. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Of friends, family, and it was just like, people were caring about true life. They just showed me they didn't care about me. No? So, you were in jail for a crime that you didn't commit. Yeah. How do you reconcile that? Like, that's a lot of, that's, that's a lot of days to, to, you know, cycle it through your head. Get, I can't get that back. There's no change in it. And, you know, I deal with a lot of things to this day. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, People expected me to jump out and come out and just have a thousand songs the first week I came out. You understand what I'm saying? Because they're like, oh, this person did it. That person did it. You know, um, um, Gucci Man, look at Gucci Man, or look right. at this one. None of those artists were facing life in prison, bro. None of them artists were, you know, sat for three years straight, no bail, for a crime they didn't do and are facing life in prison, literally. And you have one person passed away and you have another person in a coma so you may be getting ready to be facing two bodies and then besides the two bodies you got a thousand other charges assaults weapons this that all these trumped up charges i don't know no rappers that were doing that so it, it's not the same you may even know a rapper that did eight years you may know yeah but i never know a rapper that just came from being with jay-z sitting courtside at the Knicks game, the Nets game, and having billboards on Times Square to sitting there facing life. Like, you're going to die in here, buddy, and I'm throwing it in your face. Like, you're going to be gone forever. Then you turn on the radio. They're like, rapper, true life. You grab the newspaper, the magazine, every blog. Everybody's like, rappers rapping about it. And then nobody was saying, true life is not guilty. Or true life didn't do this. True life didn't do that. It was like, I was painted so bad that it was like, Everybody, before they even knew the facts of the case, they already just pitching me being guilty and everybody was like, he's done. You know what I'm saying? You had even 50 Cent mentioning my name in his raps. Like, it was just my shit was everywhere. You know what I mean? Like, it was just everywhere and it was bad. So it was like, it's not the same thing, bro, to come home. So it's like, I lost everything. Lost my house. Lost my cars. Did, did, um... 
Gucci man come home to uh, no house, no car, on the IRS money, broke, not having $2 to his name, um, you know, a million different problems, no health care. You can't even go to the hospital. You've got health issues. You don't even know where to start. Like, what am I supposed to do? Go get Medicaid? And you understand? Gucci man didn't have these problems I had. So what's You the- understand? So everybody's shit is different. And my shit was severe, different, traumatizing, crazy. Uh, it, it was retarded. So I had to go and get my personal life straight first. I had to, you know... Go and fix my family, fix my kids. How'd you do that? And once I, you know, just spending time with them, and I'm still doing it now. I'm still doing it now. It's still be it's a process. It's not a one day process. They course, went through yeah. a lot. You know, imagine your son going to school and and then someone googling them, googling who the, his dad is, and being like, oh snap, his father's a famous rapper. You know what? His father's in jail for murder, and your son going to school in a district where they're not in the street. My kids didn't live in the ghetto. My kids lived in a Leave It to Beaver neighborhood in the suburbs where they don't understand this kind of behavior. And, you know, and the young kids don't understand, you know what I mean? It's a different kind of life. My kid not growing up in the ghetto, he's not growing up, they would have been like, oh, the kids would have related and understood. So, what's so the- you know, with kids kids running around Googling me and, and, you know, someone Googled me and, you know, the word spreading around, like, that's a lot. You know, now my son had to go to see a counselor and, you know, and he's having, you know, people talking about him and, you know, and dealing with me. Mm-hmm. So now there's even more pressure on me. It's like, these are things that I'm still dealing with now that I have to, you know, go through day by day and we're just going through it as a family and just sticking through it and putting God first and just talking through it and seeing counseling and it's something that we're living, bro. What is the glimmer of hope? When when is that moment when you're like I think I can see my way out of jail? Um there was there was there was I, I don't know. I thought I thought it was over. I thought I was going to be in there forever. I said until I read that book it gave me strength and gave me hope. That book, the the Better Life Now, Joel yeah, Osteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That book is when it was hope. But when that, that but, brought hope, that that was the moment it brought hope. I don't know when it was, but it it brought me hope. It was like towards like right before I. It was maybe like a year, a year and a half into it. You know what I'm saying? So who? But who came to you and said, you know what? God, God came in my cell, brother, and came in my cell and gave me hope. He walked right in my cell and he looked me in my face and said. I broke you down to absolutely nothing. Yes, it was me. I wanted you to go that way. You were going that way, and you didn't listen to me. I tried to get you to listen to me. I showed you a million signs, and you didn't pay attention to not one of them. You ignored every one of them. I don't need you to ignore them no more. You're going to be all right. I'm right here with you. I ain't leave nowhere. I just I just needed to shake you up like this. I need you to see this. But you you didn't get your life sentence. No, I still didn't. You, even, I still didn't even get the eight year sentence. And, and you but were released. I got that hope when he came in my cell and he came in my mind. I wasn't released. I was still in prison facing life, and he came in my cell and told me, "Bro, I'm gonna get you through this, and you're gonna live, and you're gonna make it through this, and we're gonna get through this. And you were born to go through this, and I, I allowed you to go through this for a reason. And then I knew that it was my purpose to go through this. And what was stepping out into freedom like? It was took it, it took it was very weird. You know, I felt funny being around people, seeing cars, just just everything. Riding in a car for the first time, just just everything. It's, it was a very it was a weird process. You know, and I remember going to the club for the first time, and it happened really kind of quick. With Future, I really wasn't ready for it. I was like paranoid. I was like just looking around. I'm like, Shh. it was too much for me. I felt overwhelmed. Like I was anxietyed up. I never told him that, but I, I I was catching like an anxiety attack in the club. Like literally, like I just felt super overwhelmed and. It was just too early for me. And technology has 
you know. It's crazy though, because before I walked in, though, there was an iPhone, so I was kind of hip yeah. a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Not much changed as far as with the iPhone and, and stuff like that. You know, there was still, you could FaceTime and all that, but, you know, I think Instagram and all this stuff like took it to a whole new level and things was a little different with that, and I had to learn. Yeah. So when you settled in at home, like you said, you know, you didn't have a million songs you had mm-hmm. written. You're dealing with real shit. Yeah, I, I didn't. I wrote some stuff, but I didn't write a lot, a lot of stuff. You know, I had to get into music mode, and I didn't get into music mode to after I settled in. You know, for quite a little some time, and with my kids and my son and and my kids just told me like pretty much, Daddy, go get them. You know, go get them. Go do what you do. Like, but you we, had the we, urge we to make to music? I wanted to, but I needed to pass from them. If they didn't want me to make music, then I wouldn't make music. I'd have stood home and stood right there with them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I got the pass from them. It was like my son was really into music. He loved music. And he was just like, go get them. Like, go turn up. My son gets mad at me. What do you mean <laughs> your record got pushed back? What do you mean you got one song? Dad, how you got one song on Spotify? <laughs> How? I don't know an artist in the world who has one song. And I'm like, oh, my God. They're untitled. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no one stresses me out like him. Yeah. You know, I just went through a thing yesterday. Where Sounds like, like he's the manager. Yeah. <laughs> I went through a thing yesterday where I was having an issue where we were getting clearance on, on Tory Lanez. was like, so last minute, we were almost ready to pull a record. My son loves the record. If I would have called him home and told him this record was going off, I would never be able to walk through that door. He would have caught a nervous breakdown. He'll come in at what kind of record company you're signed to. He goes crazy on me. It's pushed back again four times. Oh, yeah? Where they do this at? I, I, I want to know who you do business with. I'm like, oh, my God. I got to go home and tell him this record ain't on there. I was catching a nervous breakdown yesterday. All the stress just came from him. That's all I thought about. All the pressure was on him. Just him him being disappointed. I have two more prison questions, um, and then we can move on again to something else. But one, you were there, Mm -hmm. I think, for in 2015? Um, Yeah, I got released in um, 16. So that was where the the um, escapee. That, that's where not the escape many was. people. I see you've been doing research, man. Not many people like some people like they they don't do uh, too much research. Like so, I can see like you've done certain research by um certain no, research really. by certain you said, questions. You said Clinton. I was like, yes, I, think I was it's there. Where... I was there through the whole prison break. All that sat there through the whole thing. Like we were on lockdown for pretty much the whole time for like actually even longer. Like you know, because they had to do a whole investigation and all that. So it was like doing box time pretty much. Like we were just locked in. The whole time, like I knew the lady and everything, like oh who um, yeah, who was involved in the situation as far as like accused of, you know, helping them escape or whatever that set the thing up. She worked in the um, you know, the side of the building where I was on. I mean, how does word get to you that. about the the escape? It got to us before it got to the media <laughs> or anything because it got to us when we seen the way they were searching ourselves all crazy. They were running up and down, you know, the the, the galleries while crazy waking us up. They call them galleries. It's crazy, right? Because they call um they they call them companies actually like the company on like I always I knew prison from um, watching TV jail and sh- I mean jail movies or movies like and you would be like the tear you throw them off the tear you know so when I went to prison not to jump off is this is something funny though they first asked me they were like what company you on because it's like company one then two company three company like depending you know how high you up like the third floor would be the third company second floor would be the second company first floor so they're like yo what company you on I'm like Def Jam <laughs> they're like um he's like no 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 he's like no he's like I meant what company you on and I'm like oh I mean Rockefeller <laughs> and he's like bro no no what company you on I'm like yeah, Rockefeller. He just looked at me like, 
<laughs> this guy is cuckoo. He lost his mind. They just walked right away from me. They thought I was the craziest guy in the world. Yeah, but I'm sorry that I jumped off, but I just thought about that no, situation. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, I was there through that whole situation, and it was crazy. We were watching it on the news, and then they shut off our TVs because they didn't want us to see it. Oh my like, God. the stuff that they didn't want us to see, like, what was being getting put out there, because yeah. I guess they didn't want us to have certain knowledge or whatever. situation. Yeah, and we just started going, like, the inmates were just losing their mind, going crazy, kicking the walls, <laughs> and, you know, everybody just started, you know, burning stuff and throwing stuff out of the cells. They would light toilet paper and... You know, throwing that just everything onto the gallery, throwing shit and just screaming. Yeah, everybody was just going crazy. It was you like, it was, it was like, it was just hard to explain, man. It was like, go run. Like everybody was cheering for them. We were watching every channel cheering for them. Go run, get away. Like the whole jail was just. Would going you crazy. ever have thought that that lady would have been in a situation like that? Nah, nah, nobody. Nah, I didn't even think it was a way to freaking escape out of there. To tell you the truth, you know what I'm saying? I didn't think it was a way to get up out of there. It was, it was. Mm. It was really because it's, it's a maximum state penitentiary, you know, in the max middle of eight. nowhere. Yeah, middle of nowhere. Like it was a serious, serious it's near like place Plattsburg to be. Like or something, right? Yeah, like up there? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a serious, serious place, man. No place for no man. Mm. ODB actually was there too. I spent time in the same cell as Tupac. ODB was there. Sean was there. Shout out to um Bobby Schmurder. Bobby Schmurder is actually there now. And um, I actually nobody knows this, but um, I actually got hit with a violation for sending Bobby Schmurter money through third party. Mm. And um, somehow someone in there, like, I guess, told on me because I saw I sent money to, like, five inmates. It was Bobby Schmurter and four other inmates that I was actually with because I wanted them to make sure that they had a good holiday. You know what I'm saying? And I was just trying to do something correct. I mean, um, I actually sent it through third party because I didn't think it was nothing of it. It wasn't, like, my name on it or anything. And I gave it to my friend, and I made him send it. But... Somehow it was like told someone in the facility, I guess, was bitter that I sent money to those guys and I didn't send it to them or something. Hmm. And must have went and told and said this guy's sending money to the inmates. And they contacted me pretty much and gave me a violation like for having contact with, with them, even though it was through third party. And I just sent money is all I did. You know, was, was to them. Up. Yeah, but he's he's over there now, so free Bobby Schmurter. Yeah, yeah. I also want to know, are you able to watch something like Making a Murderer, or is that, like, way too close for you? Do you know what Making a Murderer is? No, I don't know what it is, but, you know, the weird part is, like, sometimes, you know, they'll be like, yo, throw on power. Not to diss power or nothing, like, but dudes will be like, you know, oh, put on power. You know, I want to watch power, or put on this, or put on that. I don't really get nothing out of watching these shows, right? Not saying that Power's a great show. Shout out to 50 Cent. I hear it's a great show. And I did see a, 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 I mean, one of the um, shows one time, and it, mm -hmm. it was a great show. You know, it, it seemed very entertaining. But to me, you got to understand, it's not that entertaining watching this because I really live this life. Right. So it's like opposites attract. Yeah. I'm like put on Desperate Housewives. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Right. Like something that's so far from so that far reality. beyond. Like yeah. before I left, that was like one of my favorite shows. I used to love Evil Longoria. Shout out yeah. to Evil Longoria. <laughs> I used to watch Desperate Housewives like religiously every Sunday, like dead yeah. ass. Yeah. Because opposites attract. So right. it's like, I don't want to hear about the hood and oh his man set him up his man ratted on him or oh, his man ended up killing him yeah. or oh, his man stole from him and then he bodied him yeah. unfortunately I know this too well my friends killed my friends right. firsthand. you know my friends went to jail for this and this guy did this I can tell you every series every hood movie every how it's gonna happen what's gonna happen what's gonna happen I'm like oh he's about to do this they're like yeah. well how you know I know nigga cause I did this right. already yeah Making a Murder is a, is a documentary on Netflix about uh, a man who was wrongfully convicted twice oh, okay. and 
he's still him. serving and they're and it's it's about his story and then the second season just came about trying to get him and his nephew who was coerced into I don't live really like yeah. this something like that is, it seems you know I love I love real things and I love you cuz you you learn from other people's lives and documentaries type of stuff and stuff like that that's like my favorite kind of stuff but one thing I try not to do is now or period, I've always been like that, but I realize this more now than ever, is that I watch what I put into my mind because before I went away, I used to watch First 48, mm-hmm. like religiously. I used to watch it a lot for some reason. And then next thing you know, I was like living it. And one thing I know about me, right, with my mind, everything I think about, if I think about it a lot, like uh, I'm the type of person where I like, I'm a, I'm a thinker, I'm an overthinker. It's like what makes me great makes me bad. Mm. I don't sleep. You know, I get anxiety and stuff like that because I, I be like, I get overwhelmed sometimes. I'm like a thinker where I, I think so much. I'm great with like, you know, being creative and thinking of creative thoughts and because I'm such a thinker. Yeah. So I think of crazy concepts. I think of crazy lyrics. I think of, you know, great ideas. But that same thing, the gift is the curse. When I want to go to sleep, I can't sleep. I'm sitting there trying to think or I'm doing this. So it's the same thing. The way my mind works, it works like this with negative things too. So when I put negative things into my mind, that's why it's not really good to be on my bad side and be like an enemy of mine where you like did something wrong to me to the point where I got to like think about you because now you're on my mind. And it's like if I'm in your, you're in my mind and you're like in my head and I can't get you out, nah, it's like, ah, kind of got it. It's not going to just not going to sit well and it's mm-hmm. going to make me react in a very bad way. So I watch what I put into my mind and I try not to hang around negative people. I try to hang around people who talk positive thoughts now, not yo. I got this lick, we could catch, catch this robbery, let's go catch this, yo, you know what I'm saying? Like just negative things. I try to hang around people who's positive. So Mm -hmm. these positive thoughts that I'm putting that I can't get out. Mm -hmm. So now I have these positive images in my head. So that's why I like to watch things that's more in a positive light than in a negative light because I feel like I have the power to bring them to life even though it may not be reality. The power of God I feel like is in your mind. I tell people this all the time. Don't dream about making things happen because you wake up from dreams. Mm-hmm. Be an envisionist and envision yourself where you want to be. And if you envision it hard enough and long enough, I promise you it will happen. And I didn't realize that until it happened. When you f- become successful in one thing and you come from nothing, like absolutely nothing, where it's like, this is impossible for you to do this. Like, so if you go from being the wackest rapper in the world to signing a deal with Jay-Z, running with Snoop Dogg, you know, sitting side by side with the greatest artists of all time, you know, Nas, you know, legends, icons, and doing the impossible. Once you do it once, you learn the power of God and you're like, hold on. This may be hard. This may feel like it's not going to happen, but it's going to happen as long as I believe that it can happen. Like someone can have talent, right? And be super talented, but really don't have the confidence, doesn't believe in himself, don't have these visions that I'm telling you about. Guess what? It's not going to happen. Mm. This guy could be not as talented. He has all the drive in the world, though. And he has these visions in his head that's like a curse that he cannot get out. Everybody be like, oh, that nigga's whack. He ain't going to blow up. He's going to be the biggest artist. in the world. He's going to be up there with some of the biggest artists in the world. Nobody just even knows it yet. And just for the record, by the way, um, True pointed to me when he said that I was not as talented, but I have the drive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you it's got crazy the drive, how that's well the you know it. That's, the, that's, the, that's the first step, though. It's yeah. the first step. Sometimes it gets hard for me to do certain things, right? And I'll be like ready to give up. But I've been there where I've been ready to give up before. And it's like, that's right when it happens. The magic moment happens when you're, you're supposed to give up. 
the devil wants you to just give up. He wants you to believe it can't happen, give up. And then that magical moment's gonna happen when you don't give up and you hang in there through those tough times where everything comes where it's not supposed to happen. Who thought Cardi B would be Cardi B? No one. Who thought French Montana would be French Montana and have platinum records, multi-platinum records around the world? Jeff I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, though. I didn't. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. And I came up with French Montana. And I'm mm-hmm. not dissing them. But it's just like, you know what I'm saying? Like, but maybe they envisioned it for themselves. That's the key. Yeah. yeah. That's the key. It's not what someone else envisions in you. Because someone could think, this guy is going to be, we have whack and ours right. mm-hmm. that don't know nothing, right? And they go sign these artists and all that. And they think these artists are going to be big. And they don't become big, right? My cousin, I laugh at him to this day all the time, right? He turned down on because he's an A&R. He could have signed Drake. You ain't see it, right? Right, right. You ain't see it. So some people don't see it. They don't get it. So it don't matter what other people don't see or what they do see. Because sometimes you can see it like, ah, this guy's a star. And you believe in him. You think he's going to blow up. And he doesn't blow up. And he can have all the talent. But he doesn't have the it factor. He doesn't have this thing, this desire. This He doesn't see it. Right. Right. It's not for you to see it. It's for them to see it. And far too many times people put their career into someone else's hands. Yeah. And if you don't believe you in yourself. You have to believe in you. Right. You have to believe in you. Like I'll give you an example. Casting over two times mm-hmm. may not be the most talented artist in the whole world, right? But I'll tell you one thing he has. Belief in him. Oh, yeah. He believes in him in a whole nother level where he believes in him and he has so much drive that he he's not taking no for an answer. Yeah. So he's been able to work and go from nothing Mm -hmm. to something and having a career and finding a way to feed his family. For sure. So no matter how big he's gonna be or what how big of an artist he may be or not be. He is successful right now because he's feeding his family exactly and right. he's having a career and he doesn't have to go live the life that he once had to live. He doesn't have to go steal, swipe, whatever it was, sell drugs, whatever hustle it may be. He can just make music and go, you know, tour and, and, and get walkthroughs and get bags. And, you know, I'm, I'm super proud of him. I'm super and- proud of his grind. I'm super proud of his, his drive. And I feel like his drive has got him where he's at. I'm not saying that he's not talented. He's very talented. But his drive is everything. When you got out and a lot of people wanted to run by your side Mm -hmm. because of who you are, what you've dealt with, whatever credibility you have, whatever headlines they see, did you have any suspicions? Were you like, I want to keep people sort of at arm's length? How Um, did you deal with that? Nah, you know, um, the certain people that reached out, you know what I'm saying? I was just really blessed. Like some people be like, you know, don't want to do features or think like I'm trying to lean on certain artists like to do records like... Future reaching out to me, Future was like my brother. Hey, you know so that him a was, long time. That was not even like, you know what I'm saying? That was like family, and that was something that been going on. Me and Future been doing records before Future had a hit record out. When he was Meathead, and you know, we were in a dungeon coming up together, like, mm-hmm. you know, when nobody believed. I remember us having our moment, right, when, when we signed the deal already. And um, we were at the, uh, Philippe, I mean, uh, Philip Pline, or what was that clothing? Yeah, 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 Philip Pline. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were at the um, fashion thing he, that he had. He had a show, and we were in, in his, his um, dressing room, and he turned around, he told me, he was like, man, he said, you know how proud I am right now, bro? This is like the happiest moment, one of the happiest moments of my life right now, bro. And I'm like, what? He's like, that. I keep getting calls that me and you got the hottest record in the street. Mm. He's like, you know what that feels like? All I keep thinking about is how we survived and we got through the era. And even more crazier is you 
being away all of this time, coming home, and I can't figure out how you're able to do those bounces that you do on these records and how you dressing the way you're dressing <laughs> right now. And you got it all down pack. He's like, this shit is crazy to me. He's like, bro, this is like one of the proudest moments for me is this shit just watching this shit happen with me and you and just like... I wouldn't pick if I could. I I couldn't choose nobody better than you, like to do this shit with. And he was just like, it was just like it was a touching moment to me, and it was just like, wow, like you know what I'm saying? It just felt good, and um, it was just I don't, I don't know. It was just a weird thing, you That's know what awesome. I'm saying? Yeah. So you got this new project out. You got this new situation. So there there were rumors that it was gonna be strictly with Future. But yeah. you've done your own deal. No, I signed a situation with Future, right? Because sometimes I bounce all over the place. I'm a little, um, little mo. Mo means mo is, is is a little crazy. That's a little. <laughs> another, that's another term for crazy. I'm a little crazy. I'm a little shot. You got to deal with me. I got PTSD, <laughs> man. So I, I, my, my my mind drifts off sometimes. Yeah. Back to what we saying, what you were saying? What was the point? I lost the point again. You got, you got a couple different situations in terms of your companies now. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I signed a deal with Future. When I signed the deal with Future, you know what I'm saying? He, I, I didn't really want to sign a deal when I first came home. But I figured signing the deal with him made the most sense because of our, our relationship, because he's my brother. So I ended up signing the deal with him. He was like, bro, it's crazy that you came home. I'm on top of the world. I'm one of the biggest artists in the world. X, Y, Z. You got to come fuck with me. So I ended up signing the deal with him. We did the deal over there at... um. Epic. I had the record out. It was top 40 at Urban Radio. And I didn't like the way that um, Epic was really handling the situation. And me having the experience that I have in the game, I told Future, I just had to be honest with him. And I said, this really ain't it right here. And um, we kind of agreed that, you know, the things wasn't moving the right way as far as on their side of what we needed them to do and, and move how we wanted them to move. So I felt like Maybe it was best that I go do what I was, you know, going to do from the from the first thing, which was go independent, where I can just move the way I want to move. And he was like, "Man, make that happen. I'll mm. get you all the clearances, and you're still free bands no matter what. And you know, you're still with the gang no matter what. And you'll still be able to, as long as we can get it, where you can still rep the, you know, free bands, and I can still rep you, and and I can still be a part of you, and you can be independent. You'll win. You get best of both worlds. So let's make sure you get that." So we made sure we got that. So that's where I'm at. It's Mogul Tree, Free Bands Empire. And I'm doing my thing over there. And you know, I'm 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 free bands forever. That's, that's not super dope. that's not like a uh You don't need a contract to tell nah, you that. No yeah. contracts, no nothing. That's 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 forever. I could yeah. tattoo that on my face pretty mm. much. Like, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? Like that's family. That's my bro right there. So it's bigger than that. Well, shout out to everybody over at Empire, yeah, Gazi, yeah, Shout out to Gazi, the yeah. whole team, Amir, my whole new team yeah, and yeah. all that. Yeah, man. absolutely. Well, yeah. listen. You lived three or four different lives, man, and and congratulations on on you know that first part, but especially that second part, and more than anything, this third part now, man, because you dealt with some real shit. You're dealing with some real shit, and that you put you know your family first, and <laughs> and God and, and everything, and now that music's coming out, and you know you went from. From you know Donnie Wahlberg and recording in like the new kid on the block studio to being that new kid on the block back again. So Facts. congratulations! Thank Thanks you. so much for coming Thank up you. here. And uh, I just want to I want to say one thing that I didn't get an answer real quick, which was 
you mentioned about um the artists, like a lot of the artists or whatever, and I didn't really answer that question well. Like I didn't really want to do an album that was like full of features and stuff like that. That wasn't my thing. I'm a real artist. Like I don't need features to do with anybody. But it was a blessing. Like how do you turn down T.I. wanting to do a record with you? How do you turn down Tory Lanez meeting you in the club and being like, bro, I've been watching you on DVDs forever. Like this shit is crazy. Mm -hmm. Can I take a picture with you? That's how I met Tory. He literally asked to take a picture with me like, bro, I'm like one of your biggest fans. And I'm like, bro, you got to be kidding me right now. Like, <laughs> you're one of my biggest fans. You're one of the fucking hottest, hottest artists in the game right now killing shit. My kid I'm fresh you. out of yeah, jail. Yeah, exactly, exactly. My son's is like <laughs> fucking streaming you to death at home right now. And I'm like, how the fuck you even know who I am? Like, you know what I'm saying? He's like, bro, I love you. I'll fuck with you. Can I get a picture with you, dude? I'm like, can I get it? Can you get a picture? <laughs> like, you got to be kidding me. Come on, my nigga. And you know what I'm saying? Like, I can't resist that type of love, you know, T.I., you know, Rick Ross, and you know what I'm saying, all these different guys. So the features that I do have, and which is I, I've done records with so many people, it's just been blessings of, of God and, and these people just reaching out and just messing with me because they know, you know, I'm a real person, a real individual, and they just really mess with the individual that I am. So I'm just grateful for that, and I'm appreciative for that, man. And shout out to everybody that's on my album, and shout out to every artist that's ever done a record with me, and you know what I'm saying, and co-signed me, and, and been a part from Snoop Dogg to Jay-Z to, you know, Future to T.I., Tory Lanez, and there's too many to name, man. You know, even Ronald Wisely, you know, it's too many. My, my story's too crazy. We'll be here for hours, days, <laughs> and, you know, uh, we can write a book as we're going along. We, we'll, we'll be documenting my life <laughs> if we go through it all, but... I'm not a groupie. I'm just, you know what I'm saying? I'm just blessed that, you know, a lot of people have embraced me in the game. And, you know, some of them has been real cats. And those real ones I have real relationships with. And I'm, I'm appreciative for that. Yeah, well, you're always welcome back here. Yeah. Appreciate um, it, man. No, like, really. And we don't invite that, like, we don't extend that to everybody. Yeah, okay. exactly. So I'm saying, like, you're always welcome back here. That's what's up. Yeah. And um, grateful, man. Yeah, well, thank yeah. you for sharing your story. I thank y'all, man, for giving me the platform to do it, man. And you guys were no pretty doubt. smooth, man. You guys were definitely cool, man. <laughs> All right. Well, Lower East Side to Upper West Side. I know, you know? yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh, uh-oh. East Side, West Side, day, baby. New York, we back, baby. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this new episode of A Waste Time with the Real Jeff. If you want to find out more about us, I'm Eric the Curly One. You are Jeff the Tall One. Together. We're It's The Real, no apostrophe, no spaces. If people want to find out more about this podcast, it's called A Waste of Time with It's The Real. And we also have our other podcast with the locks called Two Jews and Two Black Dudes Review the Movies. Please go check that out. If people want to find out more about anything that's going on in the world of It's The Real, where can they go? You can always go to itstherial.com, I-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-A-L.com, no apostrophes, no spaces. There are never any passages or spaces. Go to itsthereal.com. You can also find our podcast. Go to iTunes. Search for A Waste of Time with It's The Real. Or we are on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash a waste of time. Or if you're looking on Spotify. I feel like a lot of our fans are listening on Spotify right now. You want to know what? If you want to listen to the Joe Button podcast yeah. on Spotify, yeah. go to soundcloud.com slash a waste of time. <laughs> That is the perfect plan. Please go do that. Yeah. We have our Two Jews and Two Black Dudes Review the Movies podcast. That's at SoundCloud.com slash Two Jews, Two Black Dudes. Jeff, I know there's a lot of people out there who are looking to follow us on social media. Where can they go? At It's The Real on Twitter. At It's The Real on Instagram. We are also on Facebook, but I promise you we're not putting anything up there. I haven't used it since 
March, I believe. So and it's showing because staying strong. We got a Facebook notification that said that nine people have interacted with our page on Facebook this week. Damn. And shout to us. <laughs> and none of them like clicked on anything. It was oh. just nine people. So why are we why are we even going to Facebook? We're not, right? No, we're not. Okay. Facebook's yeah. over. Jeff, we'd love to shout out all of our fans, even the nine who checked for us on Facebook. Well, especially. So here is where we like to shout you guys out. We appreciate the fact that you keep spreading the word for our little podcast, your third favorite podcast, A Waste of Time with It's The Real. So we want to say thank you to all you out there who are doing your job. Jeff, who do you want to thank? I want to shout out Desmond Morris, who we hung out with, but mostly I hung out with, yeah. at the Goldie Awards by A-Track. Right. Out in Brooklyn. Yes. And had a great time with him and his friend, his friend who I don't remember, but I do remember that he, um, I don't remember his name. I do remember him. Yeah. Uh, he lives in Stamford, but um, the city that works, mm-hmm. and he enjoyed that. And I know there are software engineers. There was a lot of stuff I, I, I know about them. I just can't remember the other guy's name. Damn. But shouts to Desmond <laughs> and his friend, who I'm going to say his name is... Ramon. Terry? Yeah, Ramon. Ramon. It's Ramon. Uh, Jeff, I want to shout out someone else we ran into at the Goldie Awards. Shout out to A-Track. I want to shout out our friend Irvin Benitez. Oh, wow. Irv. Irv, who's been on this podcast. He is behind a whole bunch of activations, including the very popular Greatest Day Ever that happens up in the Bronx. And he does the best job in throwing a carnival party atmosphere that is just one of a kind. Shout out to our guy, Irv, who has been a longtime supporter of us and this podcast. And please do check out his very inspiring story, episode number 123. Also, real quick, want to say that if you guys have the time and inclination, please go to iTunes and leave a review and a rating and a nice comment for us. Why not? Do it. Tell Ramon sent you. Tell Ramon sent you. As always, Jeff, not for real, for real. Sure, sure. We'll see you guys next week. Right. Sun's out.